Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, we say that we shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but we tend to do it anyway with people over and over again. There's been studies done that show that highly attractive people are presumed by others to have a variety of positive personality traits, such as altruism, stability, and intelligence. So apparently if somebody looks good on the outside, we assume that they're generous and that they are smart. Um, Attractive people are also more likely to be employed, are paid higher wages, and more likely to be approved for a loan. Um, It even impacts the court system. So psychologists have persuasively demonstrated that attractive defendants are perceived as more credible are acquitted more often and receive lighter sentences than their less appealing counterparts. So just a little tip here, side tip, next time you're in the courtroom uh, on trial, then just comb your hair, wear something nice. I mean, the odds are that you'll get off a little bit easier for, for that. You know, all of this, this perception, misperception, despite the fact that I'm sure all of us have had experience where there's not a correlation all the time with what's on the outside of a person and what's on, on the inside. I mean, we've probably experienced this, many of us with employees, if you're a manager or maybe a business owner, you've hired someone that looked like they had it all together on the outside, but then they got into the day-to-day and you realized, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it just doesn't measure up. Some of us have experienced this on dates. Uh, you know, hopefully you figured out if there wasn't an alignment between what's outside and inside. I hope you figured that out sooner than later and, and moved on to, to someone else. So there's all of this misperception that happens. And then there's, there's a toll that this takes for the many of us who don't fall into the category of really looking attractive on the outside. It feels like we don't measure up. And all of this is magnified by our media today, you know, TV, social media. It's, it's magnified by media, but it is not new by any stretch of the imagination. And we can actually trace this tendency all the way back thousands of years And um, it just seems like it's ingrained in human beings to to look at the surface and make judgments based on surface. Fortunately, that is not the case with God. God looks much deeper. He values something much deeper than appearance. And fortunately, that, what he values, is accessible to all of us, regardless of what we may look like on the outside or how we're perceived by by other people. We're going to look at what that is and how to cultivate it this morning so that we can be pleasing to the Lord. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. 
we are starting a, a new series here, and we're keeping with the theme of love that we've been in for this year of, of 2022. We're going to be studying for the summer here, the next three months, we're going to be studying one of the most highly respected and complex characters in, in all of Scripture. His inspired biography is just full of life lessons for us. So a little backstory before we begin to read 1 Samuel 16. The, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel mark a transition from the period of the judges in Israel's history to the period of kings. So if you're familiar at all with the book of Judges, you know that it is a chronicle of one train wreck after another where the nation of Israel is just constantly turning away from God and then God brings judgment on them in the form of nations around them who are pressing them. So God raises up a judge and hence the name of the book. So he raises up a judge to deliver them and then they're okay for a little while and then they turn away from God again, and the cycle just goes over and over and over again. And one of the saddest lines in the book of Judges is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so that was the period of the Judges. Now, um, Samuel uh, turns out to be the last in the line of Judges. He also is a prophet, and so prophets are people that God speaks through very specifically. It, it was an awesome a privilege because, I mean, they're getting direct messages from God. As, as a prophet, he's hearing from God directly. That's a, a remarkable privilege. But the, the downside of that is that many times the messages that he is receiving are correction for either an individual or even for, for the nation. And so... God's ending this period of judges. He's transitioning to kings. And so he calls as the first king a man named Saul. And Saul looks like on the outside that he has it all together. I mean, he stands a head above everybody else. So he's taller, he's big, he's strong, he's handsome. And so everybody's like, yeah, he's like, he's like the king that we want. So he looks good on the outside. But very quickly we find out that there's, there's no character, there's no substance on the inside of him. And his leadership goes downhill very fast. And in 1 Samuel 15, the chapter before we're looking at today, we find Samuel saying to Saul, You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. That's a pretty somber word there, to be rejected by God from this calling on his life. Saul had been disobedient. We won't take time to look this morning, but God gave him specific directions, and he was disobedient repeatedly. And so Samuel said to Saul in 1 Samuel 13, your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So that's the backstory to 1 Samuel 16 that we're going to look at today as God is about to choose that replacement king for Saul. So now we can read 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? 
If Saul hears it, he will kill me. We, we start to, we're starting to get a picture of Saul not being very stable here because Samuel, who is like this respected religious leader in the country, even he's afraid. Like if Saul finds out I'm going to pick another king, he's, he's going to kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, yes, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So God sends Samuel to Bethlehem for two purposes, to lead them in worship, to bring a sacrifice. And the elders of the town meet him trembling because they, they have a respect for Samuel. They know he speaks for God. They know that sometimes he brings correction. So they're maybe initially thinking, like, did we do something wrong? Is he coming to, like, call down judgment on, on Bethlehem? But they get relief because he says, no, I'm just coming to lead in worship. So that's one of the purposes he came. Nobody else knows the second purpose that he came other than him, that he's actually coming to look for this next king. So Samuel is going to be watching very closely these sons of, of Jesse that have been invited to this, this uh, time of sacrifice. Verse 6, when they came, when Jesse and his sons came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. There's the same word again as he rejected Saul. For the, and and here's, here's the point. Here's what we're looking at this morning. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. And so even Samuel, even Samuel who is connected to God makes a judgment based on appearance. And so if you're, if you're going to choose a king from among Jesse's sons, Eliab would be the expected choice. I mean, apparently he's tall because God says, don't, don't think about his stature. He's the firstborn. Firstborns are always privileged in, in the nation of Israel. So naturally, it's kind of like he, he must be the guy. But God gives this private correction to Samuel and says, don't, don't be taken in by his appearance. That's not the point. He says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. And the point that we take away from this is to God, your heart matters more than your hairdo. Your heart matters. What's going on on the inside matters more infinitely to God than what people see on the outside. Another way to say this is beauty is only skin deep, but what's going on in your heart permeates every part of you, and that's the part that God is most interested in. Remember what Samuel said to Saul. He said, the Lord has sought out a man, what? After his own heart. That's what God is looking at. He's looking for someone who has a heart like his, a heart who loves what God loves, what God's heart loves. 
Saul didn't have that kind of heart, and so God rejected him. Eliab didn't have that kind of heart. God rejects him as well. There are more brothers, though. Let's, let's see what happens. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Seven, seven sons. So that's the biblical number for completeness. I mean, surely among these seven sons, there's some body, but all of them are rejected. But Samuel knows that he heard from God, it's, it's a son of Jesse. And so in verse 11, he asks, Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down until he comes here. All right, pause for a second and just think of how significant it is that this youngest son is left out in the field on this momentous occasion. I mean, this is something, what, what's happening here with the sacrifice, with Samuel inviting this family to come, that doesn't happen every day. So he invited the elders of the, of the town to come, of Bethlehem to come. Apparently, Jesse was not included among them, so he gets a special invitation. Certainly, his sons were not included among the elders and those of status in the town. So this is a really special occasion. This is a national dignitary that's coming into this really small, little kind of nothing town, and he's inviting this family especially, and one of them's just left out in the field. Oh, he's out watching the sheep. And look at how dad describes him in verse 11. There remains yet the youngest. Some of you see a footnote there. What does your footnote say? The smallest. It's actually the Hebrew word has the idea of just insignificant, unimportant. The youngest, the smallest. He's, he's just left out there because, yeah, he's just out there keeping the sheep. I mean, this is pretty significant. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe you're the youngest in your family, and maybe you've always been overshadowed by uh, an older, smarter, bigger, you know, sibling. Uh, but maybe, maybe you're not even the youngest. You don't have to be the youngest to be forgotten. So we have three kids, and our, our middle child reminds us regularly of how she is forgotten. She's the forgotten one. And so, you know, the youngest one has special privileges, the oldest one has, but the middle one. And so our theory is that our middle child is the loudest because she has to make sure that she is not missed in the, you know, the whole scheme of things. And so some of you may fall somewhere in the middle of, of the herd, and so you're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm forgotten too. But you could even be the oldest and be forgotten because sometimes the oldest is like the responsible one and everybody's like, they're kind of boring. And so we'll just go with, you know, the younger ones who are more fun. And so it could be for any of those reasons, or it may have nothing to do with birth order. It may have to do with you being overshadowed because somebody's smarter, because somebody is, is better looking. It's their appearance. There's, there's all kinds of reasons why we can feel forgotten and feel overlooked. So if you relate to that, then there's hope, because there was hope for this youngest one. In verse 12, 
So Jesse sent and brought the youngest son in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is he. See, God looks for the people that people overlook. God loves to look for people that people overlook because they don't look the part on the outside, but he, God is looking beyond that to the inside, to God. Your heart matters more than your hairdo. See, it's interesting. The description in verse 12 sounds good to us. I mean, it sounds like he's a good-looking guy, too. And so we would think, well, what's the problem here? He's ruddy, had beautiful eyes, was handsome. But that, that description, that's not what these people were looking for in a king. They're, they're not looking for, for a pretty boy. I mean, that's basically what we've got here. And he was a boy. I mean, he was a teenager. He wasn't even full grown yet. So everyone would look at No wonder he's left out in the field. They're thinking that he couldn't possibly be included in the, the race for a king here. He's too young. Um, he's not tall. He's not strong. He's easy to overlook, and his family certainly does. But, but the forgotten one becomes the favored one. In verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. That must have been interesting. They're all looking at this now. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went back to his home in Ramah. The, the narration here is amazing because we don't find out who this boy is until this very last sentence that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. It's the first time David's name is mentioned in all of the Bible. It will not be the last. It'll be repeated over and over and over again all the way to the very end. And the name means beloved. So that's where this, the name of the series comes from. I have a particular affection for, for that. Um, but clearly David, this shepherd boy, is not particularly beloved by his family, um, but he's loved by God in spades. He is chosen to be the next king of this nation in the midst of his brothers. I have to wonder what their reaction was. And we get a clue later in later scenes that there was some jealousy, some indignation. But I mean, you have to picture that here comes this boy in from the field and they're all waiting. So he's probably not going home and taking a shower or changing his clothes. He's coming in, he's ratty, he's got eau de sheep. You know, he's just not, you know, in a great, I mean, this is just not a great picture. And yet he is the one that is chosen. God calls him and God equips him. It says in verse 13, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. See, God's spirit worked differently in David's day than it does today. We have the privilege today when we place our trust in Christ, when we come to Jesus for forgiveness of our sins, as we talked about earlier here in communion, when we come to Jesus for forgiveness, God regenerates us, he makes us new, and he sends his spirit to live in us for the rest of our lives, and he doesn't leave. But in David's day, before Jesus, the spirit didn't operate that way. The spirit would come on specific people for a specific time period for specific tasks, and no one would need the spirit more and the empowerment, the wisdom, than a king who's gonna be leading a nation so God gives his spirit, 
and God has a training program in store for David. I don't want to give too much away, but it's going to be a while before he actually assumes the throne. He's chosen here, and it's guaranteed, but God has some lessons for David to learn over the coming years. In the eyes of people, David is not king material, but God's view is not like ours. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 1. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So if our hearts matter most to God, then here's the question for us this morning. How much attention are you giving your heart versus your appearance? How much attention are you giving the substance of your life versus the surface of your life? I mean, let's just drill this down. I mean, how much time do you spend in front of a mirror in your bathroom or in the gym versus how much time do you spend in front of the mirror of of the word? I mean, James tells us that God's word is a mirror to show us what we're really like and what needs to change and be transformed. How much time do we spend on the surface versus the substance, the real substance that God cares about? Let's go deeper than that with an identity question. Is your heart formed more by what people around you may think of you or what God thinks of you? Are you trying to orient your life to gain credibility, to gain respect from other people around you Or are you forming your heart so that God might be pleased with your heart? See, a a heart that pleases God begins with a new heart that God gives to us. The the prophet Ezekiel said, said this, or he's relaying God's word that says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We are each born with a heart that is turned against what God wants for us. We're we're born with a heart of stone, essentially. And you and I can't fix that. We can't put a Band-Aid on it. We can't exercise it. We, We need a new heart. We need God to replace, take out the heart that's in there and give us. Only he can do that. Jesus called it being born again, starting over again spiritually. Only he can do that in in our lives and give us a new heart. After he gives us that new heart, then we have the opportunity to cultivate that heart, to become more and more like God's. So how do we do that? Well, We can follow David's example, and like David, we can serve well in unseen ways. So David is a shepherd out there in the field, unappreciated, and yet he served faithfully in that role. And while he's out there in the field, he is focusing on growing instead of grumbling. See, a lot of times we find ourselves in the field doing something that no one really recognizes or appreciates, and we grumble about it. And David, instead of doing that, he, he grew, and he was cultivating his heart for God. How do we know that? Because he left us a song that he wrote about it. 
actually left us lots of songs, but one in particular, Psalm 23, that you may be familiar with. David taking his experience of being in, out in the fields with the sheep, smelly sheep, and he's taking his experience, and instead of just focusing on what's around him, he's looking up and seeing how God is to him what he is to these sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside, quiet, beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's cultivating a heart that recognizes who God is to him. So you and I do well to cultivate a heart by spending time in the field, as it were. Maybe it's a literal field. Maybe you go out and you spend time in nature. That's a good way to spend time with God. And, and talk to him, just, just you and him. That's what, that's what David did. And, and utilize David's songs to help cultivate your heart as well. He wrote almost half of the 150 psalms that we have. We read from one of them earlier today. And wasn't it cool? We didn't have this planned out, but wasn't it cool that we read a verse that said, create in me a clean heart, O God. That's David as well. David crying out, to the Lord. We cultivate a heart after God's as we learn from him. If you feel forgotten, overlooked this morning, then you're, you're in good company. God looked down on a forgotten shepherd boy and saw in him a heart. He looked beyond the surface and he saw in him a heart to shepherd a nation God has an assignment for you, a personal assignment that he is calling you to. Scripture tells us, Ephesians 2 tells us, that he created us for good works that he prepared beforehand for us to do. So he has a purpose for your life, a calling for, for your life. And you're going to need a heart like God's to be able to carry it out. So let's ask him to do that in us. Father, we come to you um, thankful that you don't look just on the surface, because many times our, our surface doesn't look that good. Many times we, we feel inadequate, and many times we are uh, overlooked by the people around us. Thank you, Lord, that you never overlook us, but that you see beyond the surface and you see our, our hearts. Lord, you see even beyond the surface things that we do, the, the actions that we do that try to earn your favor or try to earn the attention of people around us. You see beyond all of that. And Lord, you're able to, to give us a new heart. Lord, I pray for the person that's here this morning that's never come to you for a new heart. May today be their day. And Lord, for those of us who have experienced you doing a new work in our life and giving us a new heart, may we cultivate that heart to be more and more like yours. May we do what David did and not despise the, the jobs, the, uh, the roles, the tasks 
that no one else cares about, but may we give ourselves to them with all of our heart, knowing that you see, and using that time instead of grumbling to, to grow our hearts to be more like yours. Lord, give us strength and energy to fulfill all of your purpose for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.